As Backyard Stories is put on hold for the time being, and while we're all self-isolating, I thought it would be nice for some familiar voices to share some stories centred around the theme nostalgia. This is Backyard Stories, the Inside Edition. Tenth of March, one hundred and twelve cases, three deaths. Touch was one of the first things lost during the outbreak of COVID nineteen. People took up gloves and masks whilst distances were kept. It wouldn't be long before we were warned not to touch our own selves. Masturbation at this point was one's only hope of intimacy, but it was hard to get hard when the world was so hard and uninspiring. Distances grew from arm's length to 1.5 metres to two in a room, and then borders closed. Our world shrunk overnight, as did the population. People died too quickly to report as the epicentre moved across continents, from Asia to Europe, and finally to the Americas. Those who'd hoped for less people on the planet now face the reality of death, and we regretted wishing ill on the United States. Though we all had something to regret during this time, singles regretted not finding someone prior to lockdown, whilst casuals regretted their lack of commitment to the workforce and the elderly simply continued regretting. Like soldiers of the Vietnam War, citizens returned home on spacious planes to be met without welcome, forced into quest hotels and quarantine and the confines of suburbia. They were dirty, and we were clean. As touch became taboo, nail salons were doubtlessly deemed an irrelevant business shoved into the category of non-essentiality, much like the rest of those feel-good practices. It was one of the government's many paces in the race towards ridding the world of art. Salons stood still as relics, with their kitsch decor left to cower below luminousless neons. The initial shock forced the trend of a natural nail, though many still longed for the performance of sitting in a plush beige chair and wading through small talk with ladies of the Orient. White women of affluence lamented their fortnightly fix of culture in the form of waving cats and Mandarin-embellished English. Times are tough, they would say. It's all just a bit unprecedented. Unprecedented would enter our vocabulary at an unprecedented rate, but unprecedented was right. There were nails that hadn't seen the light of day in years, and all of a sudden they were exposed. Acrylics were holding on for dear life as they neared the end of their affair. As nails grew, cracks started to show in a long-term relationship. Acrylic was finally being divorced from her bi-weekly fling with cuticle. Paint started to wear thin between the two, but one slip of the hand meant separation. Cuticle mourned her loss, much like the owner, but we were all mourning a loss. It was the loss of art. 23rd of March, 1,354 cases, seven deaths. The morning after stage one was announced, we huddled around the Tradio on a cold work site. 
The sun had barely risen and blokes held their hands deep in their pockets for warmth. We awkwardly joked about the seriousness of the situation, as none of us took anything too seriously, ever. Hardy was ready for lockdown. He looked tired from a weekend of cash jobs and a holiday couldn't come sooner. Will, the third year apprentice, dreaded being called off work. He had rent to pay and loved the chippy life more than his beat up Navara. Triple M's hot breakfast show spewed out of the speakers like a bad smell that somehow grew on you over the months and years. A callous mix of chauvinism and footy talk that often mimicked itself on sight. ScoMo addressed the nation, dragging on and leaving us more confused than before. So, do we come into work tomorrow? Asked Will. Yeah, mate, we're essential, replied Hardy. But they didn't mention us. Yeah, but they didn't not mention us. I reckon we should just go home, chimed in one of the Sparkies. You can do whatever you want, mate. I'm not the one paying you, said Hardy. Eddie Maguire's raspy voice joined in from the radio. We all stopped. Now, for all the builders out there, and we know there's a lot of you tuning in, Daniel Andrews has clarified that you are an essential service and will continue working for the time being. There was a pause, a groan, a smile, and without word, we turned our backs on the radio, on Eddie, and went back to work. The level of uncertainty would fade over the coming weeks. Updates from Triple M's hot breakfast show slowly gave way to the sounds of digital radio stations like Fox Urban, Fox Old School, and Fox Classic Hits. Our best days on site were days spent deprived of the news, remaining oblivious until we eventually returned home to death toll talk and market crashes, turmoil and wife bashes. Isolation is the real killer, they'd say. And for the most part, I agreed. Though there were those who made it look pretty with push-up challenges and throwback Thursdays and home-cooked meals. So maybe isolation was cute, but for those who could afford it. Then there was depression and loneliness and sole parents with jobs and kids and mortgages all at once. It was hard not to bring this surplus of sentiments to work with us. We longed to be shut down whilst those who had been stood down longed for work, for a purpose. My body ached as my sleep became restless. I knew I was fatigued, but a careless attitude stopped me from making changes. My back was the first thing to give way, followed closely by my knees, and then my phone's fingerprint technology stopped recognising me. That's when I recognised my own loneliness. My hands had been worked to the bone, consumed by work. No matter how many times I mashed my finger into that finger patch, the response would read, not recognised. I barely recognised myself anymore. As I jammed my whirls and loops into that reader, hoping to be acknowledged, my phone finally gave in and shut down. That night, so did I. 8th of April, 6,013 cases, 50 deaths. The world yearned for a better time, 
but time knew no boundaries, and Mother Nature had killed greater civilizations than our own. Come April, Boris Johnson had been admitted to intensive care, and tigers in New York started to contract the virus. Newspapers told us that George Pell had been acquitted of all charges, while the church rewrote the sky with clouds reading Christianity equals love. Then a girl fractures her arm. It was a stupid week filled with stupid situations that one wouldn't predict nor wish for. 50 people had passed in Australia, which the community for the most part applauded. But that's only because we were watching Manhattan Island turn into an open air morgue. The comparisons were stark, shocking in the least. Where Italians holed up in gated communities, Australia's elderly took to strip malls and shopping centres in numbers. I didn't blame them, but every part of me wanted to shame them. The stereotype of the laid-back lifestyle in the lucky country held strong as the curve flattened. I began to wonder if our carefree, stress-less attitude was making us immune to the force of the virus. Though, when I aired this concern, friends were quick to remind me of how fat our nation was, and how fat people were dying from the virus. Maybe there was a layer of ignorant fat around our organs that was keeping things at bay. That was as good an explanation as any, I thought. Few people welcomed the Easter long weekend. They simply brought hot cross buns and wallowed in their own lo loneliness trying to remember what to do with their free hands that shook from over-caffeination. Those who could retreated to beach houses, family farms and fringes. The rest of us were left to incubate, suffocating in each other's business and lack thereof. Days were beginning to blur into one another, bending and melding to the point where the name of the day was irrelevant and naming the date was as good as pulling numbers out of a hat. Weekends were simply giving us an opportunity to love or loathe life a little more or less for two days. Progress was being made, but we were all still being urged to hashtag stay home. ScoMo was proud of us. 21st of April, 6,625 cases, 71 deaths. Cold began to creep into the human psyche and the bones of our hands, and the cracks in our houses. Winter was growing nigh. The initial excitement of the virus was beginning to feel old, tired. Front page news was no longer always viral. Instead, a man dressed up as a police officer murders 17 people with a rifle in Nova Scotia, and four real police are hit by a truck in Melbourne. Ugly realities of humanity were returning, and with it the unease of not having a pandemic to blame for our being shit. Productivity was beginning to wane in the wake of so much doom and gloom, time spent in a room saying soon, and swooning over free shipping and lifeless calls on Zoom. Time was passing, as time does so effortlessly not accounting for the immortal desires of humans, not counting the hours in a work week, nor the weeks in a work year. It was simply time, and time again, measuring itself in the freckles that materialise on our skin, and in the tightness of machine-dried jeans turning loose with overuse. 
Time was growing in the whites of our fingernails and shrinking in follicles left behind. Time breathed with grandeur, inhaling and exhaling, quantifying itself in the displacement and replacement of objects. In the moving of matter from A to B and B to C and then back to A, just to be returned to B again. Time doesn't stand still. Time flies, even when you're not having fun. Time stops for nothing. Not broken clocks, nor the grains in an hourglass, nor the batteries in a watch. Time simply exists, irrespective of how we measure it and package it and zone it within our countries. The radio's rendition of Revise Me reminds me that time needs to be given time. And so, I listen.